The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Welcome to Episode 3 of Functional Banking Magic. As always, I'm Liz Lumley, Deputy Editor of The Banker, and today we are discussing day-to-day AI. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is growing in use inside most financial institutions, including services that make decisions for customers. How do we ensure AI is fair and ethical when, as we know, humans who develop AI are far from it? So joining me today is my very good friend, Clara Girodi. Clara, can you please introduce yourself, plug any books you might have, (laughs) all that good stuff. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Liz. Hello, everyone. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Um, um, a few words about me. So I'm the the old example who in 2014 resigned from my uh, front office asset management uh, comfortable executive role uh, just to dive into um, a field um, which um, everybody understood very little of. Um, it was called artificial intelligence in financial services. It's still called the same thing. So I spent 2015 to um, pivot my career away from um, being a practitioner in the industry, front office practitioner, into learning how to code, into learning the language of uh, data scientists, machine learning experts, and trying to really understand why I was so convinced that this technology will actually up and everything we do, how we do it, how we um, generate revenues, how we operate in financial services. No one really understood why I did that, quite frankly, with a very small exception of my my good friends. You had foresight. <laughs> it was it was a bit of a okay, whatever you know. Keep going if you believe in it. Um, if you love what you do, you know, it was that kind of mantra back in the day you know if you love what you're doing just keep doing it <laughs> so um i i spent a lot of time um really getting into uh into the technical side of the narrative and trying to put all that technology narrative into the uh decision making processes in our industry um so um as i said i learned how to code i just put myself through all sorts of very limited back then in 2015 very limited um number of online resources um and then i um i set up my uh, my my business and i carried on um and um i wrote a book it, it is the first book um uh, specialized in financial services it's called decoding ai in financial services it is the first book specialized in helping decision makers, non-tech background decision makers, to understand what AI is and how it applies in our industry. It's been a, a huge success. I'm very grateful to all my readers. Um, and um, last week, um, the Japanese version of the book was published in uh, and launched in, in Tokyo. So I very much look forward to going back to Tokyo. I also write this um, popular uh, weekly newsletter. It's called Decoding AI, um, and um, everybody uh, seems to love it. We covered everything what, again, decision makers need to understand um, and need to build knowledge on um, uh, as to what AI means in our in our industry. Mm. Which is exactly why I chose you to have our our intro, our our uh, our opening for 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 this podcast episode. Um, you know, and I and I really liked how you talked about um, decoding AI for sort of the non-technical of, of, among us, because I think that's in, incredibly important to understand how artificial intelligence works when you don't have a a very you know a, a hardcore technical background. So, kind of my my first question I have for you, you know, you're known as the author of the quote, "Algorithms have parents." I think I've seen it on a T-shirt. <laughs> um, what do you mean by that? 
actually it's uh, I blurted this it came, just came to me and I I I found myself saying it on a panel at Money 2020 in um, Amsterdam uh, in 2017. Um, it was around the, the, the panel was trying to answer the question uh, from the audience. So who is responsible for this technology? So the chap to my left and the chap to my right, they were just trying to sort of um, find a, a diplomatic answer. Um, and I, I just simply said it as it is. Uh, it was then, it still is, and it will continue to be. Um, humans are uh, responsible for this technology. Um, whoever tries to argue, and there are a lot of people trying to argue that the systems somehow are responsible, um, to, of, they have their own responsibility as to what they, how they operate. Um, I would submit that actually, um, uh, whilst technically it is the case, um, from a, a regulatory standpoint, from a financial services application standpoint, uh, we humans have to continue to remain in charge and responsible um, for what outcomes these algorithms put out and subject our customers to. So um, there is a lot of discussion about, um, and I wrote in my book um, about the um, moving the, the accountability, the legal responsibility away from the humans and putting it on these algorithms. The algorithm said so. The algorithm is responsible. From a legal standpoint, experts would explain to you um, it um, it's actually opens a Pandora box of, mm. of a lot of issues, um, which we don't, quite frankly, as, a, as an industry, I don't think it would be advisable um, to to allow this Pandora box to be to be open, I think who is responsible for uh, the development, maintenance, ongoing maintenance of these uh, systems? Um, I think the answer should always be humans. Just that, so algorithms have parents. In many ways, it's our responsibility. Uh, just as we are responsible um, to raise children. Um, um, I'm a parent, you're a parent, um, and I, as a parent, I, I, I keep thinking about um, what was my responsibility to raise a, a responsible young man, um, a citizen the society will rely on, uh, someone who now is a financial services practitioner himself, um, will be um, a, a pillar of reliability, integrity in our industry. So algorithms have parents, they reflect, just as our children, they reflect our own biases, our own preconditions, our own weaknesses. So we have to watch ourselves and we have to better understand ourselves in order to ensure that we do not allow our own biases, our own mishaps, our own bad conditioning to be translated to, um, to our children. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope it makes a little bit of sense why we are the parents of the algorithms uh, we, we design. A side hustle podcast of mine is going to be raising young men in this world, but uh, that, that's going to be for another time. But I mean, I really liked how you framed it around the fact that algorithms have parents and those parents are us humans, that we have this responsibility. But you, you mentioned, you know, in the end, humans are, you know, humans are imperfect. We are biased and unfair and unethical. You know, how do you how do you ensure that that either intended or non-intended bias stays out of 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 artificial intelligence based applications that are that are doing things in financial services like, you know, looking at people's credit rating and risk management and all the things that um, banks and financial institutions are looking to use AI for? Is, is there any simple solution or is it just messy and complicated? It's not a simple solution, um, but I'll, I'll try to simplify it um, and say that um, one way to remove, oh, sorry, one way to manage bias um, with a view to diminish it um, and hopefully eradicate it, but I'll come back to that point because I don't think we'll ever be able to eradicate one type of bias. Um, so one way to, to uh, manage and mitigate bias, um, I think it would be to build um, teams 
which are truly diverse in their background, their conditioning, mm -hmm. uh, their um, um, life experiences, their age. Um, only when you have this level of diversity, and I'm not talking just gender diversity, mm -hmm. I'm talking like all types of diversity, only then you will truly understand that um, we can we are so different and in being so different in a team we actually complement each other and that is the value and that's the the strength uh, derived from this level of diversity when designing algorithms and when maintaining deploying them um, or indeed when looking at the um, the foundational piece of algorithms which is data and trying to um, to manage that um, uh, map uh, of of the unknown, which is data. Um, mm. So um, I'd like to come back on the point I mentioned earlier that um, we cannot eradicate one type of bias. Um, and one type of bias which has been proven that we cannot eradicate is gender bias. Mm. So um, why someone, um, a good friend of mine who uh, teaches uh, theology and philosophy um, in Oxford, um, he said to me, like, how can we eradicate this gender bias when it's so ingrained it's in ingrained our psyche yeah. as early as the first uh, written or pub, you know, printed um, book of wisdom? <laughs> Which which is, was used by by humanity for so many years mm. to guide themselves through life, so um, we we have to we have to understand that there are biases which we cannot remove, okay, but we can mitigate, mm. and the gender bias in, in particular, especially for our industry, especially for um, the regulator looking at regulating this type of bias in financial products. Um, we need to ensure that we have systems in place which mitigate, identify, mitigate, and manage this type of bias. Um, so it's very, very important. I mean, I think sometimes you, you can almost, it, it's hard to eradicate sort of in, in bias from an individual, but having those various data points, I was thinking um, a few months ago, I wrote a story about OTP Bank in Hungary putting together a, an AI supercomputer, and it was really important to them that the computer understood the Hungarian language as a native. And I was thinking, I'd, I wouldn't even realize that, that that would be kind of a big deal, that it wouldn't have to go through some translation. It would actually speak the language of the country that it was in. Oh, it's so it's absolutely so important. I um, the the work some companies, uh, NLP companies, are doing in the space of translating uh, dialects uh, and uh, understanding differences in in semantics um, across different languages, I think it's very very important. And you'll find actually, I'm not a linguist, but um, during the lockdown, um, because I don't have much to do, <laughs> I started writing a weekly newsletter. Uh, but I also dived into quite um, quite a lot into the uh, applications of NLP and financial services, and I got into the tech side um, heavily and I um, I had some very very fruitful discussions with engineers working um, in in designing this this algorithms um, you go into the semantics um, you go into the grammar you go into every single language is different and you'll find that the way um, people speak their native language most of the time that reflects in the in the way they think in the way they express themselves, in the way they feel um, things, in the way they engage emotionally with things. And in our industry, it's so important to understand the emotional engagement with money. Um, every single one of us individually, we have a different engagement, emotional relationship with money. And when designing, AI systems, um, driven um, financial products, that component needs to be really well understood in, that, uh, in the design cycle. So I, I wanted to get your views. I mean, there was, um, I think the, the Singapore Monetary Authority came out with a, a report and, and just recently the Bank of England Public Private Forum 
came out with a final report looking looking at, at AI. Did, did you have a chance to, to look at that at all? Yes, I did. Um, they, I think they published, yes, they published it in uh, February um, this year, uh, 2022. And um, it's possibly one of the, the best papers, reports I've, um, I've seen produced um, by a financial services regulator or um, authority. So um, they, they've done a superb job. So the team is kudos to, to, to the team. Um, the, the members of, of the committee are working tirelessly uh, to uh, to produce this document. Um, uh, I have, if I may, um, some comments about it, um, but only with a view to um, to instigate uh, perhaps a different angle. Now, we, we've been talking about bias and how to manage and remove bias. I think one of the the first things to remove bias in anything is diversity of teams and diversity of opinions. Um, and that means avoiding group thinking. Um, now, I used to be a practitioner. I used to be part of the, um, uh, I don't know, executive of this and the other one. And when you meet other similar executives doing the same type of work, uh, you feel that you know everything uh, from, from as far as the industry is concerned. You, you are the master of your universe. And alongside with other masters of their own universes, you create a group, um, a, a bubble of discussion uh, where everybody understands um, everybody because we share the same space and the same thinking space. Now, that's, that's a bit, um, um, that, that may be improved in the sense that group thinking, um, it's not something which we want, especially when we design um, uh, methodology and um, uh, pathways to, uh, to move forward in a progressive and um, constructive fashion. So um, I think the, the, the team, uh, uh, when you look at the composition of the team, it's published at the end of this report, um, you'll see that there, there are no independents with, with the exception of one um, uh, academic, um, there are no independents. And I think we want more independence in this kind of conversation, obviously people who are uh, qualified to, uh, to express ideas. And we also want more disciplines from different, um, different uh, um, professions. Uh, and I have what I have in mind here, there are people from uh, with uh, philosophy backgrounds, uh, people with uh, socio uh, um, so, socio uh, studies uh, backgrounds. Um, so we want some of that in this type of um, thinking. Another point which perhaps we might want to have some uh, reflection on when we write this type of um, uh, reports is to weave in discussion around. Uh, how this technology impacts uh, humans. Because um, everything we build, everything we write, uh, that we will build as products in, 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 in our industry will impact um, customers. And finally, um, there is, on the, on the risks uh, piece, um, which the paper is just explored so thoroughly, um, I would only add uh, one uh, point, which I keep repeating in, in on, on different uh, venues, but hopefully we'll be able to to build some momentum around it. We have an um, intrinsic risk when it comes to deployment of AI or indeed deployment of any technology products. Um, we are almost exclusively reliant on internet connection. Uh, if we do not have internet connection, then we we are lost, right? So, um, obviously there are other uh, satellite connections, but um, I don't think we are there yet with implementation of that kind of connection. Um, what happens is that we have internet connection because there are uh, kilometers of internet cables, um, um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of them connected, um, connecting uh, continents. And what we, what the media has consistently uh, underreported is that kilometers of internet cables have been um, cut, have been um, missing. 
uh, we don't know exactly how they happen, uh, and especially during conflict, during uh, war conflicts. Um, we have, have been exposed to this kind of um, um, events which are um, very difficult to manage. So my point is that this is a reality. Uh, the fact that we don't talk about it, it doesn't mean that it does not exist. So we need, um, as industry uh, practitioners, I think, we need to have um, a backup system or we need to have a plan in the case when everything goes down and there is no internet connection. How are we going to continue to run our financial services uh, industry? Um, so I, I wrote in my newsletter two weeks ago about the mysterious uh, disappearance of kilometers of internet cables. So um, uh, that's that's something which we need to um, to blend in or make the regulators aware and um, the industry aware. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like the, that new form of warfare. This year, right, um, some surveillance, surveillance cable in the Baltic Sea mysterious, mysteriously disappeared. Um, and war experts identify this event as a precursor uh, to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and potential extension of this conflict uh, to the Arctic region. And again, it's some geopolitical um, event, which is like an undertone of, of everything. But again, we need to keep an eye on, on those things. And finally, I'd like to uh, welcome um, this report's uh, mention, whether we need to consider how existing regulation and legislation, such as senior managers and certification regime, may be applied to AI, and whether we need to um, expand the remit of this legislation. Um, we have to bear in mind that, and I'm familiar, very familiar with, with this regulation and certification, um, the majority of senior managers um, in financial services will be non-tech uh, people. Um, so we need to ensure that whatever legislation we put in place, um, we, we need to we need to ensure that uh, people are qualified to to answer and, and to answer relevant questions and understand the responsibilities they have. But I really welcome uh, this this point uh, in the uh, Bank of England report. Um, it's absolutely pertinent. It's so important. Mm. So I wanted we're running we're running short of time, and I wanted to get in kind of a final question. It's AI. I mean, I know that you know you, you, you when you introduced yourself, you talked about. Um, a number of years ago, deciding, you know, you wanted to pursue this avenue and, and learn more about artificial intelligence and find out its impact on financial services. It's It seems to be with every year as as more and more AI is used in our industry and it's it's an in inevitable that it will, will grow exponentially, there seem to be new risks that pop up that maybe people didn't quite realize or anticipate. Is that always going to be the be the case? Are we just going to have to constantly be balancing that, you know, benefit over the risk, or can we anticipate more of the risks? We can anticipate um, a lot of risks, but um, there are there is a good chunk of what we do in this space is uncharted waters, right? So we need to what we need to learn is how to um, have risk management systems in place which are adaptive to the nature of this type of risks um, and um, we, there will be a lot of challenges uh, I don't think anybody has answers as to um, as to which are the risks make me a list that's that's the only risks we will ever uh, encounter I think the more we will deploy this technology and make it um, peg and hang our lives um, and our financial systems on it, um, we will have even more uh, challenges and even more risks. And that's why it's um, it's very, very important that we have uh, inbuilt systems um, to, to mitigate this type of risk and anticipate as much as we can. And very, very important, it's also 
that we need to have board level directors who understand what this risks are and how their how this type of risks actually change the nature of the um, of their work because um, AI is impacting not only uh, in how we deploy technology and what technology we deploy, but also it impacts how we operate. Uh, it impacts our um, um, uh, profitability models, our revenue models. So um, board level uh, directors need to continue to become more digitally able, uh, technology competent um, and fluent um, in, in what this technology is and how it's deployed. Um, I, in many ways, that's why I wrote my book is to, uh, to be the manual for uh, board directors or management which are non-tech um, and which have non-technology experience. So uh, they will be empowered to ask the right questions uh, because only when we ask the right questions, then we have, we can get closer to the right answers, therefore the right decisions. Excellent, Clara. This is, this is a conversation that's gonna be happening for years and years and years to come. Thank you so much for joining me for the first section of Day-to-Day -Day AI. Welcome to the second part of episode three of Functional Banking Magic. As always, I'm Liz Lumley, Deputy Editor at The Banker, and today we are discussing Day-to-Day -Day AI. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is growing in use inside financial institutions, including services that make decisions for customers. How do we ensure AI is fair and ethical when humans who develop AI are far from it? So we have two wonderful guests with us today, John Digan from IBM and Peter Vanderputen from Pegasystems. And I'm going to ask the gentlemen to introduce uh, themselves to our listeners. So John, I'll start with you. Hello, everybody. Great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm John Dignan. I'm IBM's global industry engineer for banking and financial markets in our global industries team. Wonderful. And Peter, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, Peter van der Putten. I'm the uh, director for the AI lab at Pega. And uh, next to that, I also have a part-time position as an assistant professor in AI at uh, Leiden University in the Netherlands. The topic of AI is is one that can go on i think we're going to be having for years and years and years in financial services but i kind of wanted to start off with a with a phrase that gets bandied about a lot in the industry which is um algorithms have parents and i wanted to hear from both of you what what that phrase means to you so so john i'll start with you i think it's very simple people write code and we all know that people intend to be biased or not and so when people write code, whether they realize they're doing it or not, their decisions, their background, their mental framework uh, makes it w into the code that they write. If that is true, you know, I mean, it is, it is true. We all know humans have flaws and biases. And how is it even possible to um, ensure that, that those flaws don't make it into the code? Well, this is by no means a new problem at all. Uh, people have been writing code for 50 years, and so one can assume this is not new. I think by today's standards, it's the ability to detect those situations, recognize those situations as they happen. And as we're seeing emerge in the industry, all the structures that we would put around that through good governance uh, that any company should be undertaking. Mm -hmm. And of course, that regulators globally are starting to move on. Mm, interesting. Okay, so Peter, I'm going to you now. What, is that, what does that mean when I say uh, algorithms have parents? First off, I'm in vehement agreement mm -hmm. uh, with uh, my fellow speaker here. It emphasizes that it's a human technology. It's technology that's built by humans uh, with all the pluses and minuses. 
AI is not something objective. Yeah, I think when we say we um, algorithms have parents, and we can also think in terms of that we we try to teach our kids stuff, right? So it's the same with AI. Yeah? So uh, you know, there's many different brands to machine uh, branches to machine learning, but one of them is is machine learning, yeah, where we can teach them on the basis of of data. But of course, we make choices in terms of what kind of data we feed to these systems, for example, right? So there's countless choices uh, then uh, that that we make would that will influence uh, what is the AI system that gets built. I think the other angle to algorithms have parents is we don't just try to teach kids stuff, uh, but sometimes we get a little bit fed up with kind of explaining for the tenth time why it's good to do something or not, uh, not to do something as a kid. And we just tell them, just get on with it because daddy say so, right? So we give them rules as well. Yeah, and so that, that's the other kind of main component of AI next to machine learning is, is rules and reasoning. And I think these rules are important also to put ethical constraints and boundaries on top uh, of the decisions that are being made by uh, by AI. So I think uh, in, indeed, you know, like uh, talking about algorithms that have parents reminds us that uh, technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. It, it's made by uh, people. Uh, it's a quote from Kranzberg. You know, like there's an element of, of of teaching in there as well, but there's also an element of of maybe giving, you know, putting some boundaries around, you know, the decisions that are being made, et cetera, et cetera, by giving them rules. You're not the first person to use the analogy of of uh, raising children, um, you know, and 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 teaching children, but you know, kind of parenthood's almost self-governing i mean how does the how does the industry ensure that everyone is a good parent to their algorithm <laughs> how should we how should we <laughs> take that um so i think it's a, it's a it's a great question i think it starts uh, initially it has to start with individual companies and the technologies that they adopt uh, the approach the approaches they adopt and I think we, uh, I, I've been thinking about this space a lot uh, in the context of my clients and the use cases for which they want to use AI. We, we often think about this in terms of uh, the, the very obvious ones and the obvious examples where, I be, uh, where AI has been used to uh, unintentionally discriminate. So lending decisions mm -hmm. would be a classic example. And, and they're so well publicized. I think that uh, in many cases, uh, 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 before I move on to that point, mm. th that's just one example, right? We think about where, where else AI is being used. It's being used in many senses throughout entire business processes across every business unit of an organization now. And so I also think about this in, in relation to recruiting. I think about it all the places where AI could be used to advantage or to create disadvantage. And so the awareness of this is becoming much, much broader. In the first instances, companies need, need to be aware of the upside, of course, everyone understands the upside of using up, uh, using AI in making better decisions, using more data, more available data to make better decisions. That's a given. However, the, the downside often is that data sets are not what the data sets that train AI models, as Peter said, the machine learning models uh, are, are often um, riddled with bias <laughs> and yeah. people don't even know. So to answer your question, this is about being aware of the problem. As a good parent, you've become aware of a problem and proactively creating the structures and mechanisms uh, that would uh, help you build the governance around this. So this is a space in which all kinds of bodies and organizations and companies like ourselves, and I'm sure uh, Peter's are very, very active. We want good governance practices, best practices to be used around the data, the way models are built, the way models are used, and how, how companies can understand quickly that they have an issue or that, they, uh, that, that there's some fundamental aspect of their model which started out biased or has over time become biased. Yeah, yeah and I think, uh, maybe to add, um, 
Uh, on top of bias, there's other kind of ethical principles that we need to think about. Eh? It's, uh, is it maybe balancing accuracy of models versus transparency? Is it explainability? Yeah, can we explain uh, how a particular automated decision was made? Um, it's the accountability. Uh, it's not the computer who is accountable for uh, making the decision. It's, it's the company uh, that's implementing the decision uh, that defined the rules and the models behind it. Uh, but there's even a higher level um, principle which is important, and that, that's what is the objective of the system. Uh, is it ultimately a system let's say that's that's just to the benefit of the company, especially when it's about sensitive decisions? Or is it is there a balance eh, between not just the company benefit, but also the benefit to the to the customer or the citizen? Um, so when you look, look at, uh, for example, uh, a lot of the proposed regulations uh, around uh, AI, and they try to build in, to go beyond things like bias. Of course, that's important. Uh, so these systems uh, need to be kind of uh, bias-free. We need to balance transparency, accuracy, et cetera. But we also need to look at like, what is the objective of the system? What is the risk to do harm? And, and that needs to be governed, not just within a company, but uh, yeah, ultimately at a societal or at a, at a legal level. And you, you see that popping up in, uh, for instance, the new uh, EU proposed regulations mm -hmm. uh, around AI. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to, to talk about, like where where these guidelines come from. I mean, like if, if, if there is some sort of should, do we need like a centralized body for financial services industry and like what what regulator would hold that and um you know i mean is it like we who who should own those guidelines and those rules well um liz i think that's why the bank of england's report is is so useful here and helps us enormously start that thought process because I think it's fantastic that companies like both of ours are moving in this space and develop best practices and have some of the leading thinkers uh, to, to understand the real implications of how AI can be used both positively for the world, understanding the risks and downsides. What I like about um, the Bank of England's report in this case is that it was they cast the net very, very wide. They solicited opinion from a very broad and representative set of stakeholders. So I found that very, very, a, a really useful starting point because while companies have great opportunity to move the bar in their own right, there is a broader set of uh, imperatives that need to take place. We're seeing that happen in in two domains that are very closely connected right now, the, the realm of privacy and how some of the social networks and, and enterprises who monetize insights move through that, and the directly, that's directly correlated to their use of AI. And so we see this emerging both in terms of privacy standards of how personal insight can be used and also how AI models uh, uh, are trained deployed, measured, explained. And I think that um, the, 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 the reason the Bank of England report is such a good start here is because is twofold. It needed to start somewhere and they got the basics exactly right around data, data quality, the bias in data sets, applying governance structures um, and, and, and understanding how models move. And so I think they got the fundamentals absolutely spot on. Why does that matter? Because 50 other regulators listen to what the Bank of England does as an early mover. Um, and equally, it will have, you know, the, the, the initiative in Europe around this is very, very strong. European regulators will move on this space and it will become uh, mandatory for many institutions to, to, to adopt the best practices and be able to demonstrate that they're doing that. Um, and so I see this as very, very positive. These are positive steps for the industry because it will remove rogue and analogous issues in the way that AI is used. Yeah, so Peter, I was wondering whether you you had a chance to read the, the Bank of England public-private um, forum yeah, report. Yeah. What, what, what were some of your views? It was a very interesting read, and I, I I agree with John. You know, like uh, I think it's really good that uh, they um, that it was the result of a dialogue. You know, I think that uh, you need to hear many voices, 
and get them reflected in, in how we want to approach this. This is not just a problem for the technologies, technologists or just for the industry. It's, it's, a, uh, you know, it, it's something that um, ultimately applies to the whole of society. So it's, it's, it's important to have these many uh, voices uh, uh, represented. Um, I, th I think if I can have like one critical point, uh, John, you were already mentioning, you know, like, uh, for example, uh, the, the proposed EU regulations. Uh, I, I think they, it's the first step, of course, this report, uh, but it's taking a, a, a view of AI that's, that's way too narrow for my taste, uh, because it's uh, talking about data models and, and governance. Uh, so AI is almost defined as modeling or, or machine learning, whereas I think for a customer, yeah, let, let's say my uh, mortgage application got declined yeah, because the bank thinks I can predict that I cannot uh, pay back my loan, but there's also all kinds of other considerations that they take into account. Um, now, um, for me as a customer, uh, it doesn't really matter that much yeah, whether that prediction is being made with some super duper uh, state of the art machine learning, deep learning model or whether it's built with some statistically, statistical model tools, right? So, um, whereas the report really says, well, you know, when we talk about AI, we talk about machine learning, and actually we talk more about the more kind of advanced, newer uh, types of machine learning. And that's a bit of a, too much of a technical view. I think we need to look at it from, uh, indeed, a customer point of view. Uh, they, they don't care what made the prediction that... that um, I can't pay back my loan. I just want to get an explanation for that decision or some level of transparency. And the other part that ties back to that parents teach their kids by learning, but sometimes also by imposing rules. Now, these type of automated decisions are never made by just a model. You know, it's always a combination of potentially many different machine learning models and predictions, but also tons of business logic and, and rules. And so it's the combination of those things that actually lead to a decision. Um, so uh, we should not just look at the modeling aspect of AI. We really should think about both, uh, let's say, machine learning, machine reasoning, uh, both models and rules um, when, um, uh, when we're evaluating these systems and uh, when we're looking for transparency or explainability or, or fairness. And, and to contrast it, the EU regulation takes that very broad definition of AI. It, it's not just looking at machine learning, but also looking at logic. And also machine learning itself gets trend. Yeah, uh, the, the, the EU report or proposed regulation says like, uh, we need to include all form of inductive, uh, inductive modeling uh, where we're trying to make, let's say a prediction, whether that's based on AI machine learning or whether it's based on statistics, it doesn't matter for the customer. I'm I'm glad you mentioned you know coming it from the customer's point of view because I'm gonna we're getting to the end of our discussion so I wanted to have a a final question for for both of you I mean you know when when AI works the customer you know, doesn't really need to understand how it works but we are inundated not just financial services but the other water industry when when things go wrong with AI with you see you know horrible uh, bias involved with AI it's 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 disastrous. Are there risks that we haven't yet discovered? Or are we always going to be moving forward on this journey of trying to do that constant balance between the benefits of advancing artificial intelligence and these unexpected risks that are going to pop up along the way? So in my view, um, we have to learn as we go. This train has already left the station in many respects. And so it's not a question of if bad things will happen, it's when. But nonetheless, clients are fully bought into adopting AI across their use cases, whether it's hyper-personalized banking services and mortgage processing, whether it's the detection of financial crimes, those models are all already active, whether it's recruiting, we know they're already there. Uh, and, uh, and, and the kind of issues that those um, uh, demonstrate uh, that relate to people uh, and communities of people. And so when we think about that, uh, it's it's already happening. And so the, the key point here, Liz, is I think we have to learn as we go and we have to make sure we're doing at least the minimum, at least the minimum good things along the way. And so that focus on data quality 
ensuring that we use algorithms that can detect bias, ensure that our AI-infused decisions um, uh, are explainable and have transparency. In my mind, uh, and, and continuously feedback and continuously learn and continually evolve, in my mind, those are the absolute minimum that our clients uh, in, in the sector can be doing today. And anyone that's active in using AI on personal data, these are, those are table stakes, frankly. Uh, and uh, uh, the technology companies are on board with providing those capabilities uh, to, to ensure that our clients don't have to uh, invent all of that from scratch. Excellent. So, Peter, any, any final thoughts? Ultimately, it's indeed good to demystify AI a little bit. And, and yes, uh, rightfully so, uh, when one automated decision goes wrong, uh, we'll, we'll hear about it. Yeah, uh, I don't know, Apple Card uh, giving 10 times less credit uh, between a husband and a wife. Uh, uh, so there's only one decision that, that goes wrong, and it can create like a big uh, public uh, outcry for the good reasons. Uh, but but on the flip side, yeah, we need to realize that well, some some of our, our banking customers they're doing well over 100 million automated real time decisions per day, right? So uh, exactly. every single day, 100 over 100 million decisions. Yeah, so uh, the benefits are and the opportunities are definitely there, and the skill at which it gets applied is all, all uh, also already there, at least in certain pockets uh, of uh, of applications. Yeah, so uh, like John says, you know, like um, actually failure is not just a problem. Failure is also a feature. Like uh, machine learning is all about learning from uh, uh, mistakes and false predictions, right? So uh, as long as we learn uh, and, um, and and have some proper governance on top of it, um, then uh, yeah, then 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 things will be good, and we should not just be be naive. Just think by virtue that it's a technology, that it's uh, objective, and it doesn't have uh, it's, it's deficits, but because it does, and it's based on humans actually designing this uh, this technology. Uh, but ultimately, I'm, I'm 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 positive. You know, I'm not a utopian or dystopian. I'm um, I'm very kind of hopeful and positive about uh, the ability of of humans to uh, to adapt to these two technologies and learn from mistakes. Excellent, wonderful. I mean, the, we could obviously go on for hours and hours and hours talking about this, but um, I just want to thank both of you, John and Peter. Uh, for sitting down uh, to talk about day-to-day -day AI and financial services. Thank you very much. Delighted to do it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome again to Functional Banking Magic. I'm Liz Lumley of The Banker, and today we are talking about day-to-day -day AI. As artificial intelligence and machine learning is growing in use inside financial institutions, including services that make decisions for customers. How can we ensure AI is fair and ethical when humans who develop AI are far from it? I have an excellent guest with, with me uh, right at the moment. So today I'm speaking with Prague Sharma, who is Global Head, Artificial Intelligence Center of Excellence at Citigroup. Hi. So I've got a question I've been asking everyone on this episode, which is when I say algorithms have parents, what does that mean to you? To be honest, it's not a phrase I have come across before, but I guess what it can mean is just like any other software that's developed, it's developed by someone or by a human. So potentially algorithms have parents means that, you know, behind the scenes, there are people, there's a designer, a developer, a tester, an architect, um, and other such people that are involved in the day-to-day -day development of algorithms, such as machine learning algorithms, and, um, and everything that comes with that, I guess. Um, when you're when you're developing such a uh, such a tool, I mean, yeah, it's it's it it, it is kind of down that line that you, d despite the fact we're talking about you know machines and and possibly robots and and uh, you know artificial intelligence, they they are designed by humans and using data, both of which sometimes rarely is is perfect and can often be sometimes unfair, even uneth unethical, even when the people sort of developing these tools don't even realize it. I mean, can the industry ever really ensure that the, the AI that is being used, which might actually be part of making some sort of financial decision for, for, for customers, be sort of fair and ethical? Is that just, 
you know, the 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 big question uh, <laughs> for for when when whenever we uh, discuss these things. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, uh, humans inherently have um, uh, have some inbuilt flaws in them, I guess. But we still, as a society, function by having rules and regulations in place when it comes to humans. And then the question is, can we build something that is completely fair and completely unethical? I think the whole premise behind artificial intelligence and machine learning is that we can build things that are better than ourselves and that we can emulate those things in certain specific use cases. Also, um, some of those use cases exist in the financial services industry. Why do we think we can we can build things that are, that are ethical even if... Uh, we aren't, or even if the underlying um, components of those aren't necessarily ethical. The reason is we can manipulate these things much better than we can manipulate ourselves in the sense that our brains are black boxes, but we can take a machine learning algorithm today and break it down into its components and then analyze those components for fairness, ethical considerations, and so on. Mm -hmm. So take data as a, uh, as a particular point that you mentioned in your question. Data is rarely perfect, but... Um, you know, imperfect data is better than no data at all. And in fact, there's quite a few famous sayings in this that are worth quoting. Um, some of them is like, for example, in God we trust, all else must bring data. And the, and the notion here is we can really take data and, and use it uh, to our advantage. And we can work with it as opposed to having no data at all or having a black box brain to work with. The other point is we can, we can manipulate data to our needs so that it's, uh, it's more fair less ethically biased and so on. So that's a promise inherent in the world of machine learning and AI. Another good quote that I like is, a model is a lie that tells us help the truth. And I really like that sentence because what it's saying is models are an approximation of the world we live in, but we can build those approximations to our liking and we can build them in a way that are um, that do not have some of the drawbacks that humans uh, humans have in them. And then the final one that I really like is truth can only be found in one place, and that is the code. And this is obviously written by some developer somewhere that thinks that's where all the truth is. But the <laughs> fact is, the point they're trying to make is you can look at the code to understand what's actually happening. Now, mm. that code is going to get more complicated as time goes on. Um, but still, we can develop tools to, uh, to probe and investigate these things. And that really is why, why we think not just in the financial services, but artificial intelligence more generally holds all of these promises. We can get over the limitations is, is the underlying assumption here. There's lots of places where we can evolve our thinking as of today and build um, tools to help probe further and deeper into these models as they get more complicated. So there have been a few sort of reports that come out. I know that the Singapore Regulatory Authority came out with a report, but the Bank of England over in the UK came out with a public-private forum, a final report on AI. I don't know whether you, you've read any of those. I have, actually. The Monetary Authority of Singapore is very mm -hmm. active. As you know, over the last few years, they've been uh, busy providing a lot of really good guidance as well. Mm -hmm. The other big piece here is the AI-EU Act that's doing its rounds mm -hmm. um, over this year and mm -hmm. next year. Uh, but the public-private forum and the AI one in the UK was excellent. I have read the report, and it, it really... It really shows um, that when you consult with the right people across the industry, include academia or, or um, uh, and the public bodies, the output can be really practical, which is what this report is really. Um, it talks about risks in three key categories, mm. data, model risk, and governance. And that's really a good way to look, about it, uh, look at the space of machine learning. In fact, even in the last answer, the discussion we were just having, we were talking in that way about data being a particularly key component of any machine learning algorithm today, the models themselves, and then how you govern the output. And this is how this sort of uh, this report approaches it. It also talks about barriers and adoption, uh, barriers to adoption and challenges and risks. And all of those are very practical. For example, uh, you know, data uh, in large volumes today needs to be um, needs to be looked at in a slightly different way than you than uh, how we might traditionally have been doing. For example, data lineage becomes a very key component of managing our data today. That may not have been the key focus in the past in the sense that 
data is useful. We use it every day. All organizations have been using data since the first day they were formed. But maybe data lineage, where the data comes from, what it, what reason it was collected for, now become key to you ending up using that data in a machine learning model for predicting things that may not have been originally what the data was intended for. So these sort of mm. concepts are well discussed and they're very interesting. Uh, Today's AI begins with data, I think was a quote from the from the report that I liked. And then they also talk about model risk. You know, a lot of the, uh, in financial services, there is uh, lots of processes in place today to, to address various aspects, regulatory aspects or other uh, requirements that we have um, both locally, regionally, uh, and otherwise, and machine learning and artificial intelligence nicely fits into some of those requirements. There is also overlays that are specific to AI. For example, in the cyberspace, adversarial attacks are very unique to AI. They are about manipulating machine learning model or manipulating the data in uh, that is used by a machine learning model to, to bring out outputs that favor one over another. These might be hard to detect, so there might be new sort of thinking or processes we need to put in place. Um, explaining or explainability is key, another key focus of the report, which I really like. Explainability continues to be key to how many places we can deploy machine learning models in. The better we can explain something, the better its chances of being used in critical infrastructure or otherwise. Um, a focus of the AI EU Act as well, which is breaking it down into high risk, medium risk, uh, low risk categories in effect. And then from a governance perspective, lots of really good feedback that really aligns with the way we do business in city as well. And they're looking at existing governance structures that are there. They give recommendations on whether you should say take model risk management, which is a key process within institutions like ourselves in the financial industry. And the focus of this model risk management is to really evaluate models. Um, even before the word AIML came in, models were used traditionally and, and there are systems to evaluate that. Maybe those systems can be extended to include AIML as well. And what we do in City is we have a central function, which ID, which is the Artificial Intelligence Center of Excellence. And that has worked out really well for us. The idea is that we are the thought leaders in AI across the organization. We look at policy standards and procedures and, and, and provide guidelines to the rest of the organization. In, in short, we become a one-stop shop within the within city to help uh, align um, our businesses and functions that range over 160 countries, as mm -hmm. an example, and help them work with AI. So the report was fantastic. And I think more such reports where there is strong partnership between various sectors and functions really makes a, mm. really makes a difference in this space. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's a, a lot of people in the industry are, you know, sharing examples and sharing experiences and, and talking a lot, which, are, which is always a good thing. But I mean, is there, in terms of the financial services industry, do you think a formation of some sort of centralized body looking at the use of AI would be helpful or, or do you think that's needed at all? Yeah, there's a lot of discussion, as I was just saying, uh, specifically with regards to the AI EU Act, which mm -hmm. is really talking about this, and um, they're interested in an AI EU board centrally, and then and then uh, they will rely on regional sort of uh, bodies uh, to manage this. So that's that's the way they are thinking about it and going about. It. And there's discussions right now happening as to what the best forms of that is. But from my perspective, as a practitioner of AI, as, as someone working in a large organization, uh, which has numerous use cases right across the board, from personal banking to large corporates, um, uh, to private banking, and everything in the everything in the in the middle, um, trading uh, and trade services as well, we want to make sure that the uh, that the guidance is consistent across the various regions that we work in. Be, um, and the risk-based approach that is currently being thought through, not just in the IAPPF recommendation, but also in lots of other governments is fantastic for us. It is this sort of uh, risk-based approach that segregates high risk from, from other types of AI uses is interesting. Um, maybe a little bit work around what AI means. It's a really difficult space and a, mm -hmm. and a lot of the back is around the definition, as you know, AI is a mm -hmm. field of yeah, and the particular field of study is practically impossible. So it becomes uh, some of the language used even in the AI PPF was around, you know, um, 
and they use the ISO definition, which is still, which can be considered broad statistical approaches uh, or other uh, rule-based techniques that are more complex. If all of these things try to mimic human behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about the AI, you and I talk about AI, we are thinking of deep learning models that do amazing things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been following the news recently, but text to image generation has become a really interesting concept. So if you write some text, it can generate photorealistic images to match your text. So one of my favorite examples that was out yesterday was, you know, a chihuahua dog sitting in a house made of sushi. And a photorealistic (laughs) image of that was formed just from a deep neural net using that text. That's amazing progress in certain fields. And applications of that in various industries are going to change um, change how we do business. And we, uh, uh, in City, we we have a centralized approach where the artificial intelligence center of excellence becomes that point helping guide the organization and through the various developments, not just from a regulatory perspective, but the technology and the tool sets that we need within our organization. And most importantly, the talent that we need to continue to um, continue to build models and AI ML. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, you, you've gone directly into the area of AI. I really wanted to, to discuss that sort of, you know, that real sort of mimicking human learning and, you know, imagery and analyzing data, the more sophisticated realm that, that we're moving into in, in many industries. But, you know, in terms of where the financial services industry is going and the benefits of having more and more sophisticated machine learning and, and, and AI, I mean, are there are there risks that we haven't anticipated yet or will the benefits always out, outweigh them? So firstly, there's always risks that uh, we haven't anticipated. In fact, we are going, we are hopefully at the end of this COVID-19 phase, which is interesting. This, this was a risk nobody had anticipated mm-hmm. from a scale perspective. So there's always going to be that. But ultimately, the promise here is that machine learning and artificial intelligence has way more advantages than disadvantages. And any of the disadvantages are today as we progress through them and try to understand them. So if you if you look around us today, we are already deeply in debates about ethical considerations for machine learning when it comes to uh, in the financial services industry. That is a great topic uh, of discussion because machine learning is super powerful, but at the same time, um, at the same time, uh, we have to work through these, and uh, we have to work through these uh, challenges that we have. And the way I think of this is, we we are going to work in parallel in both these streams streams to take the most advantage out of machine learning algorithms. So it's not going to be the case in financial services where we start deploying models without human intervention in areas where we do not understand how the model works. It's clear both from a senior management perspective and otherwise, that there are considerable risks to AI if we try and rush through this without the proper guardrails in place. And I think everyone now understands that we have to sort of deploy these things, but we have to be mindful of them. Going back to that more general example, and we're trying to figure out how these can be useful in the financial services industry as well. But the more general example that I was just giving you of the text to image of the little dog sitting in a sushi (laughs) house, was released yesterday and even that release they did not release the source code okay and also there were no human pictures in in that data set or those results they showed you would be probably be able to guess why that is the data sets that they use billions and billions of images that were required they had inherent biases that humans already have we as uh, we as people take our biases and encode them in the data and around us so this algorithm would have taken that so for example it was more likely that stereotypes according to jobs would evolve in that data set if you typed in something. So the developers of this were conscious of that and they did not release the data set. I think it's amazing that we are so conscious of these inherent biases that have always existed, but we haven't been able to quantify them. It's only now that we're really quantifying them through the data that we use. And then we can take that data and try to get rid of those biases because we now know that they exist. So I was very surprised. There were no humans in any of the pictures they uh, they released of these auto-generated pictures because of this, but they're conscious of it. A few years ago, 
one of the companies released a chatbot that became racist in a couple of hours. I yep. think. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I think everyone learned from that. You can't just release stuff into the wild because people want to mess with it and break it as soon as possible. So even in the last couple of years, we are so conscious of it, even in the financial services industry mm. and other industries that I think we're on the right track to take these challenges head on and then to really use AI from fraud detection, uh, which is a key component of any sort of financial services. Really, the bedrock is eliminating fraud. Um, AI and machine learning is naturally suited for that. There is compliance and other risk activities that are so manual today that AI and machine learning could use this whole world of natural language processing, mm. text and unstructured data that was out of bounds for all of us only a few years ago. It is now completely in play. We can take huge documents, we can summarize them. We can, the summarizing is not easy. Imagine taking a big document and getting the gist of what it means. Uh, we're starting to improve on that with, uh, with models and starting to use those long gone are the keyword searches, but really what we as humans do when we read text, machines are starting to do that. So very optimistic on what's possible. I'm very confident that I think all the risks that we see today, they will go hand in hand with our developments and we will be solving them as we build more complex models. But then I'm in the space, so I might be a little bit biased. <laughs> no, but I, I take some hope from that. I'd rather I'd rather a machine make a mistake with a picture of a dog with sushi than, you know, your your pension and your uh, loans in a bank. But yeah, so it, it's, it's interesting the future we're heading towards. Prag, thank you very much. I appreciate you speaking with me. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of The Banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you would like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.